0: I felt very confident that, you know, we were looking each other in the eye and I said to her, like, I want you to tell me if you think that this is a safe option for me. Like, do you think it is safe for me to birth outside of the hospital, given my history?
1: We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth a space for thought-provoking
0: and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mother Birth Today. Um, Melise and I are here, and I'm really excited today. We're going to be sharing um, Melise's third birth story. Um, for those of you who might be first-time listeners, um, I re- definitely recommend you go back and listen to um, the stories of her first two births, which are episodes 31 and 32 on the podcast. Because th- today we'll really be talking about um, Melissa's journey to deciding to have more children and what that was like for her family. So Melissa, do you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself and then um, kind of starting in on that?
0: Yeah. Well, I am one of the hosts of Mother Birth and I'm a mom of of two kiddos that are with me. And then I have also experienced um, a few different losses, including a stillbirth four years ago of um, my son, Rowan, who was stillborn at full term, which was a very formative and devastating experience for me and obviously for for our whole family and has really shaped the, you know, the way I've come and come into and grown into motherhood over the years since and was a really really had a really big impact on our journey into deciding whether we wanted or or could have more children i think we always knew that we wanted to but it was a question of like can we really go through this again Um, and so that was really a several year journey that led us to, to the story that we'll be talking about today, which is the birth of my daughter just about a year ago. Well, actually uh, the day we're releasing this, it's uh, the day before her birthday. She was born on Valentine's day, uh, last year. So
1: that was a special, a special moment (laughs) for all of us. For sure. And, you know, as we've discussed in previous shows, something that was really unique about this for us as both like the mother birth team and as um, best friends was, I was able to be there when Eddie was born. So it's a big celebration for me too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was, I think a culmination of so many things for both Laura and I, you know, mother birth is a big, big expression of our love for You know, the birthing woman and the birthing space. And to share that experience together, it was also kind of the culmination of just so many years of talking about birth and, you know, her being a big part of my previous birth experiences and my my experience of motherhood, even though she hadn't been at my first two births. But it was always something that I felt like I shared those stories and that space with her. And so there was never any doubt that I wanted her to be there for Etnie's birth, but there was also some uncertainty as to whether it would be possible since she was working night shift at the time. And, you know, you never know when a baby's going to come. So (laughs) we were, we were pretty hopeful because she has a really good track record of being able to make it to her friend's birth, even when she is working. So we kind of had, had our fingers crossed. She had a trip like that was scheduled, um, in the few weeks leading up to Atne's birth. And so that was really the only thing that we were It really, really had our fingers crossed that she wouldn't come during that time since then we, it would definitely be impossible, but she came at the right time. So
1: yeah, Yeah, I'm really excited about talking about that day, but I also would really like you to share kind of what you're talking about in the beginning, just what, after losing Rowan, what it was it like to decide to try to have kids again? And what was that space of a few years like for your family? (sighs)
0: Yeah, I it's I mean there's so much to say and this is something we've talked with so many women on the show about and and with so many women, you know, in our lives and in my life especially since my experience of stillbirth, you know, a big part of my life now is just talking with women who have experienced loss and who are trying to, you know, to unwrap that experience and potentially move forward. Um I think that it was you know, initially there's the shock and the devastation and there's all of the confusion. And, you know, you go through all those stages of grief and you, you know, you're angry and you blame yourself and you do all of those things. I would say that I had incredible support. And so my ability to move through that in a, you know, in a, in a healthy communal way was, was really, was made really possible for me. And I'm extremely grateful for that. I had, you know, an incredible partner who, who really showed up and, you know, grieved with me in a healthy way. I had incredible, you know, friends and people around me. And yet the truth is, is that it's just like, it's such a, it's such a reset button on everything that you are and think and believe and feel. And, and there's no way to just like, put it all back together in, you know, the way it was before. It's, it's just like a re like it deconstructs you completely. And, you know, I would say that in the months after Rowan was born and we lost him, it was just, just this feeling of, I mean, I, I would say it was a roller coaster. Like there were days where I was just, you know, so depressed and so, so overcome by the emotion of of missing him and wanting him that there wasn't anything else i could imagine i couldn't imagine another baby i couldn't imagine like ever putting myself through that experience again i couldn't imagine what it would be like to be pregnant again or to to give birth again and and yet at the same time i also had moments of just feeling like this experience had kind of awakened or maybe grounded me in a way that I hadn't experienced before, and you know my we talked about this in those other episodes um uh, you know about my first two births. but when my first son was born, which is almost nine years ago now, my experience of motherhood was very just kind of angsty. And I don't, you know, I was very unprepared for the transition emotionally. I experienced a lot of postpartum anxiety that I just never addressed. And so it was just this really prolonged, unfortunately, period of of not settling into motherhood and not feeling at home and not feeling like I had a thriving relationship with my son and not feeling like motherhood was a comfortable and, you know, safe space for me. It just, it felt like so much work and and I don't mean work in the sense of of course it's it's work to be a mother, but it felt so, like so much like internal work just to stay in that in that space. And so when 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 Rowan was born and died, it kind of like it softened me in a very different way. And and like I I sunk into the experience of being a mother in in a whole new way. And so there was this other part of me that felt like it was opening up to to this idea of, you know, what does it actually look like to have more than just one child? Because I spent my pregnancy with Rowan being very worried about like, how will I do this? You know, I, I, it's, it's so hard with my first son. How will we possibly transition to, you know, a family of four? Like what will my relationship with my second be like? How will that impact my relationship with my first? You know, there was so much worry and anxiety about that and losing him kind of just made that all go away. It was like, and not that that stuff doesn't matter and not that those things can't be challenges, but it kind of just put it all in perspective. Like not having Rowan changed everything that i felt about being a mother and what it was like to be to be like emotionally available for for my children and for my family and so it was kind of the start to, to a very long answer to your question it was the start of this kind of unraveling and this rebuilding and the other thing is is that i had this really incredible and and b- bizarre and unexpected experience that even though i lost my son during childbirth I at the same time had this very peaceful, very progressive, very like confident birth, like the actual birth itself, unlike my first birth, which was long and complicated and, you know, fraught with all kinds of, you know, things that made me feel like I couldn't trust my body. And I, and I, you know, didn't know what I was doing and birth was just like, not for me. And it would always be like this. And so my, my birth with Rowan kind of in in such a strange way, restored my faith in my body. And so all of these things are kind of coming together in the years after we lost Rowan. You know, there's lots of questions about, you know, can we handle this as a family? Like if we were to try again, what would it be like to, you know, to like navigate the potential fear or anxiety, what would it be like to trust each other that we'll show up in the ways we need to? What will it look like for our son Aiden, who has lost a brother and also has now been an only child for many, many years? Like what would that be like? And, you know, we we were smart enough that we um we were in couples therapy for, you know, two and a half years. I mean, I think both of both Chase and I, my husband had been in therapy at previous points in our in our lives, but kind of more for, you know, more acute things like maybe dealing with a certain trauma or a certain thing that, you know, we really needed to kind of make some, some movement on, but we had never really done like prolonged therapy where you just sort of sat in a relationship with someone that just knew you and could, could call you to, to each other and call you to, you know, to the light. And so we did that and we just stayed in that space for a really long time. And I would say about a year and a half into that. So about two years after, after we lost Rowan, um, we had actually come to a point where we were about to decide not to try again. And we were kind of, you know, we were kind of using all of these different ways of, you know, talking ourselves out of it. You know, we were saying things like, well, gosh, are you know, we finally found, a great, you know, rhythm in life with our first kid. And, you know, Hey, we're both really busy with our careers and you know, what, what would it be like to, to, you know, to mess with that balance that we've you know finally achieved after all these years. And, you know, we should probably just not bother, you know, we've, we've got a lot going on and I'm getting older and who knows if it would even be possible. You know, I had a miscarriage before eight. And so Rowan was our second loss and you, you know, you just like, you kind of throw all that stuff around in your brain and um we we were truly very close to making the call for Chase to get a vasectomy and it was um it was pretty much i think it was right after christmas um my husband came to me and we have this uncanny ability to to sort of have big life revelations kind of concurrently which is a i would say has been a gift over the years and he just came to me and said you know I, I think that if we decide not to have more kids for the reasons that we're talking about, that we will regret it, you know, and I'm not saying we have to, I'm not saying that we don't even know if it will be possible, but if, you know, in 20 years, if we look back and say that, you know, if we look back and, and know that we decided not to have more kids because we were putting our careers first or, you know, because we were, you know, whatever it would be that we we will regret it if we decide for these reasons. And I just looked at him. I was like, this is, that is exactly how I feel. Like I wasn't ready to say it. I didn't think you felt that way, but that is exactly how I feel. And so we just, we just opened that door again. And we were still in conversations with our therapist and decided that, you know, we, we felt like we had more work to do on our relationship before we were ready to try again. So we spent another few months in therapy, which is just like, is very unlike the previous times that we decided to have kids. When we got pregnant with Aiden, we it was it was the very classic like, well gosh, we've been married for, you know, almost five years. Like it's probably time. Like this is you know, I don't want I don't want to be too old when I have kids and it's you know, we should we should just pull the trigger. Let's just do this. We always said we'd do it within a few years. So let's do it. And and I'm not suggesting that we didn't want Aiden. Of course we did. And I'm also not suggesting that that's a bad way to decide to have kids because, you know, it happens all the time. But it was not impulsive, but it was just very much like, okay, well, this makes sense. So let's do it. We did the same thing when we got pregnant with Rowan. It was like, well, oh my gosh, like we don't want kids too far apart in age and time's really ticking. And, you know, I'm starting to get older and and at that time i was i was struggling with severe anxiety and had so much going on in my relationship with aiden and it was just like again i don't want to say it was bad timing because you know it is what it is but like it it just wasn't it wasn't a decision that we that we really like felt or sat with or anything like that and so for us to decide yes we're going to try again but we're also going to like spend you know more time in therapy and really take our time with this was kind of unusual for us and it it spoke a lot to where we were at in our relationship it spoke a lot to how how much obviously we had been impacted by our choices to have children and you know what the results of that has has been in our lives and so it ended up being almost a full year after that before we did start trying and um we got pregnant it took it took three or four months to get pregnant, which to me felt like an eternity. I know that for women who, you know, really struggle with infertility, that that is um, not a long period of time. But I also, from having experienced that, I know that when you're trying to get pregnant, every single month is an eternity. And, and so any amount of time of waiting is, is just can feel, can feel really difficult. And I gotten pregnant with both Aiden and Rowan in one try. So, you know, three or four months felt like, oh gosh, what's wrong? You know, Mm -hmm. am I, Am I too old now am um, you know is have these losses like somehow have has something changed in my body? Am I not able to you know just all of those questions? so I did get pregnant, and we were excited of course um I was you know just ready, ready to do this, and that pregnancy we were we were on a trip to Dallas actually where interestingly now is where Lara lives. Um we went to a friend's wedding and we we flew in, you know, on Friday night and got to, you know, went out to dinner with our friends and all of that. Woke up the next morning and I went to the bathroom and I was bleeding. And um I remember I just screamed and I really couldn't believe it. I just, it was, for me, it was this moment where, you know, and it's, it's that initial sight of blood. Like you don't even know yet, you know, I mean, you know what it probably means, but you don't know for sure. You know, there's still, there's many women who experience bleeding or spotting during pregnancy and, you know, things are fine, but you know, you just like, you just kind of know, Mm -hmm. or at least you fear. (laughs) And, you know, Chase would say like, he heard me from the other room and he instantly knew, like he's, you know, he's been in that, He's been in that situation with me before, and um, so we went to the emergency room that day, and sure enough, you know we we had miscarried, and um the baby had actually been been gone for for probably a couple of weeks at that point. Um, and so I you know, I actually did go to the wedding that night, but just for a very brief time and then went back to the hotel. I was feeling fine, um but it was obviously physically fine, um, but emotionally not so fine. So we just went really briefly to the wedding and then came back to the hotel and just like, just started the grieving process, you know, just started. I think at that point, what we were letting, what we were grieving more than with any of our previous losses was just the the fact that like this might mean it's not possible because truthfully like when i when I miscarried before Aiden and I've written about this before and and also talked about it on the show, when I miscarried before Aiden, I really chalked that up to just the token loss like it didn't i I didn't even really grieve it at that time and 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 that is you know was in many ways just sort of a immaturity on my part um but you know I really didn't. it meant anything. Like when I got pregnant with Aiden, I didn't think like, oh, I'm gonna for sure lose this baby, or you know, I'm not able to stay pregnant, or you know, I didn't have those fears. And then when we lost Rowan, it was just this different category. Like it it felt like this it felt random and and like awful and evil and you know like the universe was playing bad trick on us. But like it didn't it didn't really I mean I did have some moments of blaming myself, but for the most part it just felt like this random awful, mean, cruel trick that, you know, whatever, (laughs) wherever it came from, wherever it originated, like it was not, it didn't originate in me. Like it wasn't my body's fault. Um, When this miscarriage happened, it was like the three just collided into each other and suddenly they meant like my body can't do this. Like now I've been pregnant. This is my fourth pregnancy and I have one child, you know? It just, it just all collided. And that really, for me, was like where the works had to start happening. And I had been, you know, in all the years since Rowan, I had been doing the work of, you know, learning to trust my body again. And like I mentioned, that actually started with Rowan's birth because in the most unexpected way, his birth really did allow me to trust physically in my body and in the process of birth again. And so it was this long, you know, very slow arc of, of, you know, construction, constructing that, that belief again. Mm -hmm. But this moment where I lost that baby in that hotel room in Dallas was like where the real work started and where I really had to like put my, I had to really put myself on the line and ask myself like, do I believe what I say I believe? You know, I'm I'm I've been in this space now for years where I I talk with women, I work with women, you know, shortly after that I became a doula. Like, you know, all that was always my my passion. It's so much of how, you know, what I believe and and how I talk and how I how I, you know, encourage women. And it was really for me the first time that I was in that space myself of just like this is just
1: utter utter hopelessness you know yeah and I think too um just listening to you talk about that time and being there with you and um something that I feel and have like great memories of or just that that whole season like you were sharing about and just coming to the conclusion that you guys wanted to try again celebrating that um we've mentioned before we have really really amazing friends um that are really family in Portland and I remember you telling us and Mm -hmm. everyone was so excited um, that you guys had made that decision and just felt, we all felt like it was right. And we had all been waiting to, to see if you guys would try to build your family or not. And then a very similar deep loss when, when you got pregnant and lost this baby. And I think even just Mm -hmm. a lot of us were wondering like, would this be it? And like you tried, this happened and you know, I think I operate on a little bit different plane just because of my career path and knowing the fortitude of women um, and their ability. But I think some of our friends were like, "Well, of, of course you won't try anymore. Like this is obviously, yeah, you know, this is too much. How can, how can you lose this pregnancy and and try again?" Um, but no. I think there obviously were other people who were ready to hold that space for you, kind of like you're saying you kind of had to do for yourself. You had to ask yourself again, yeah. like, am I willing to try again? And I think so many women and women listening and women who share their stories can relate. It's really difficult to to finally believe and have hope and then to lose a baby again.
0: Yeah. I mean that's I think I think the really, really challenging and hard part of of trying again and of rebuilding that hope, especially when you have experienced multiple losses, because there is no you know there's no sense of like well, if we can just you know i i I personally experienced even even after my first loss, I lost my first baby at eleven weeks, and I definitely when I was pregnant with Aiden you know, kind of held my breath a bit until 11 weeks and then had that really common like, okay, well, we've made it, you know, now, now we'll, now we'll be able to, to coast until the end. And one thing about, you know, full-term loss is that that moment never comes. You know, I mean, when you lose a baby in childbirth, you don't, you don't ever have that like sort of pressure relief valve of of like, oh, we made it past 20 weeks or we made it past, you know, 13 weeks or whatever that is. Um, And I really, you know, I know so many of our friends, like you said, like the incredible thing is, is that I know many of them did question whether, you know, we would continue to try after, after we lost that baby. Um, And yet those same people, like, they held like the strongest, most safe space for me to be, to be whatever, to to like absolutely say that's it, I'm throwing in the towel and I can't, you know, I can't do this. Or like I'm gonna keep going. And both of those, like, both of those are strength, you know, both of those are are real, yeah. both of those are okay, both of those are like loved and accepted and held with the same, the same you know, gratitude for, for sharing this experience of life together. And I'm unbelievably, unbelievably lucky to have so many people that have done that with me. And, and I, I cannot understate the impact that, that those relationships have had on, on my ability to continue to try. Um, You know, I wouldn't be where I am I wouldn't be where I am without, you know, the partner I have or the therapist I've had, but I definitely would not be where I am without the relationships that I have, the friends. I mean, you are, you know, at the very, very top of that list, Lara, Um, you know, and and a, a, a pretty, a pretty like strong handful of other, you know, women who have just, just been with me on this journey and other women who've experienced loss and other women who haven't, but who just have, the, the biggest space for, for this, you know, journey. And, um, for me, when that loss happened, you know, we did, we did wait. I had ended up having an infection and, and needing an emergency DNC after that baby was lost, which was kind of, um, really disappointing for me. You know, I, I didn't want to have that experience i kind of wanted you know i mean i wanted it to just happen on its own i wanted to just be able to to you know kind of grieve concurrently with my body also grieving and also figuring out you know how to to move forward and having an emergency dnc was you know it 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 kind of messed with my the way i was processing it if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um And yet at the same time, it was, it was definitely necessary. And it was something that also like, it was just one of those little like drops in the bucket of helping me to accept like, you aren't in control of this and that's okay. You know, it's okay that you're, that you're not in control. Um, after, after that DNC, we waited, you know, another couple of months. And during that time, I mean, it was like, the deepest soul searching I've ever done in my life and I had to go deeper into into myself and into the into the questions and the and the fears and sort of all this like you know anxiety that just like wanted to to take over and I was so so determined is the wrong word but I just like I just knew that to move forward if I was going to move forward and continue to try that, the only way I could do that is if I could do that in a peaceful space. Right. Like I did not feel like it was possible for me to move forward. If I was just going to be like a complete bundle of, you know, fear and anxiety all throughout my pregnancy and birth and, you know i had already started seeing um a care provider obviously when i was pregnant with the baby that i lost and you know so i went back to them and you know we kind of reevaluated the whole situation like i've had another miscarriage like what does that mean how does this fit into the big picture how does this how does this affect the kind of you know care i might need to receive or how does it affect you know my risk factors for x y or z and you know i was very fortunate to also have an incredible care provider who like sat with me in that space and you know held all of the grief and uncertainty and and hopelessness and also could look me in the eye and say like you still you still can do this you know we don't know like I can't promise you that you'll have a baby and that you won't experience another loss I can't make you any promises but like I don't see anything here that says you can't do this right you know i don't see anything here and that to me was was something that you know that i that i really needed to hear and so over the course of a few months it was just really rebuilding that that confidence that belief that you know i i know i want this i know i want to have another child i know that i I'm like, I'm called to this. I'm called to being in this space. I'm called to like being a mother and I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take the risk that, that we don't know what will happen. And that, you know, maybe this is, this is not this, you know, this hasn't been going how we want it to go and, and it, and we can't control that it will in the future. Um, but I'm willing to take that risk. And I think one of the, one of the, you know, the big things for me in deciding again to get pregnant again was having that confidence that was both, it was, it was external and internal. And I, and I feel like that for me was the key. Like I was doing the personal internal work to, to, you know, to rebuild my confidence and my, you know, my trust in, in my body and in this process. And I also had, you know, external sources like Laura and like my midwife who were saying to me, like, you, you can do this. You know, this is like, we support this. This is not like, you're not being crazy, (laughs) you know, um, you can do this. And so with those two things, I really, really felt, um, I really felt like I, I was able to move forward without being just an, like a basket
1: case, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember there being, and you probably, you probably remember. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think one of the things that stands out to me is, um, you know, a time we were just talking about, you know, like you're saying you have a, at this point you start feeling like, is this a pattern? Is this something that I, is just me? Is this, you know, and, um, I just remember one night us just saying to each other over and over again, like your body is not broken Mm -hmm. and like your body can do this. And I, I mean, you know, we spent some time talking, but I think when I left that day, in some ways it was, it was that for me too. And believing that for you, believing and rebuilding hope for you too. And I think that, um, that was such a huge mantra going into all the decisions of your, of your third birth and is that your body is not broken and that your body can have a healthy baby. And Yeah. um, yeah, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, finding out you were pregnant again and then the decisions that you made about the kind of birth you wanted to have.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's probably like the most, you know, quote unquote controversial part of it. And, you know, something that I had to like, I both had to talk a lot of people through it. And I also had to like equal equally say like, it's my choice it's none of your business, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and just kind of discern like which relationships <laughs> needed what. Um, but we decided at first we were actually going to have, when I was pregnant with the baby that I lost before Etne we were planning to have a birth center birth. Um, and when I, I lost that baby, and, and it wasn't because I lost that baby that I decided differently. But it was it was sort of a catalyst for just like rethinking the whole thing. Um, and and you're probably thinking that I decided to have hospital birth, but I actually decided to have the baby at home if that was going to be possible. And and the reason I decided that was that for me, I really, really wanted to. I wanted to like put myself in like physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally into this space that reinforced the trust that I was working so hard to build. And, you know, I, if you listen to my previous birth stories, I had a, you know, a pretty complicated and, and difficult first birth with my son that was a hospital birth and it wasn't because it was a hospital birth, but you know, there, there are all kinds of associations that come with that. Um, and then, you know, lost my second son during childbirth. And I knew that if I just kind of went, if, if I chose to go with the, the decision that would like create the most safety for me, in in the sense of like just like my intuition told me that i needed to choose a space for birth that really really reinforced the trust that i was choosing every single day to build and for me i knew that i I'd, I'd always you know, home birth had always been something that was interesting to me. It was always something that sounded amazing to me. My, like the hardest part for me of birth has in my previous births had always been like the trans, you know, the transport, like when we go to the hospital, what it's like in the car, what it's like to get admitted into the hospital when you're in active labor, you know, all of that is like really kind of awful for me. And I just felt like if i want to if i want to build and to create this really peaceful and and calm both pregnancy and birth then i i know that like if all you know if, if the playing field was even and all you know all chips had fallen like that would be my ideal birth choice then why don't i choose that and so then mm-hmm. it was a question of like do I have a medical care provider that is on board with that, you know, given my history. And I specifically chose a midwife who, um, you know, is is a certified nurse midwife like Laura is becoming and who has, you know, worked extensively in the hospital system. And in fact um, has done lots, her specialty is high, you know, high risk obstetrics in in the hospital. And so I felt very confident that, you know, we were looking each other in the eye and I said to her, like, I want you to tell me if you think that this is a safe option for me. Like, do you think it is safe for me to birth outside of the hospital, given my history? And she looked me in the eye and said, you don't, like, your losses don't equate to a a risk factor. Like, you don't have, you don't have, you're not like, you don't have preeclampsia. You don't have, (laughs) you know, gestational diabetes. You don't have any of these things that actually like risk you out for a home birth. And so we were just very honest that we would be extremely diligent, you know, not, not that they're not normally diligent, but that would be, you know, extra diligent during my pregnancy to make sure that, you know, if anything tipped towards me being at risk for something that, you know, that we would change the plan and that I would, um, you know, give birth in the hospital instead. And, fortunately that didn't happen. I had, you know, I had a lot of discomfort during my pregnancy. It was actually my most uncomfortable pregnancy Mm -hmm. by a long shot. By the end, it was like my, my mobility was greatly affected, but I had Mm -hmm. a very healthy pregnancy. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have anything. Like I, (laughs) my blood pressure was perfect. You know, my, you know, the, like Etnie's heart rate was, was always perfect. You know, I, my, um, you know, I, tested fine for you know gestational diabetes all of that stuff and we also made a plan that at the end that we would do you know more monitoring than would normally be the case for someone who was planning an out of hospital birth, you know. So normally you would have your mm-hmm. weekly checkups, and they would listen to the baby with, you know, with a doppler, and you know that would more or less be it. Um, but we planned that in, you know, the last two weeks of my pregnancy that I would also have NSTs, which are non stress tests, to where you monitor the baby for, you know, a longer period of time and really um, just measure how, you know, how they're how they're handling life. Um, and, and then specifically, um, when I was, you know, closer to, to giving birth and would, you know, actually be having some mild contractions or Braxton Hicks, like monitoring how the baby responds to all of that. And then we also planned that I would not be going overdue more than, you know, a very, very small amount. And, you know, that was, that was somewhat of a personal decision and, and definitely also somewhat based on, you know, research and statistics about, about neonatal loss, you know, in, in that window. Um, and that felt like just the right, you know, the right, uh, balance between trusting, trusting my body, trusting that the baby knows when to come and also just, you know, accounting for my experience of having, you know, a stillbirth at almost 42 weeks. Um, and knowing that that, you know, was even just mentally, something that I kind of needed to like hold space for. And so all of that yeah. felt like the right, it just felt like the right like construct for like trusting myself, trusting my baby, trusting my body, trusting that like, what's like, what is meant to be will be. And, and that sounds kind of, you know, I, I don't know. Uh,
1: like reduction, like maybe reductionistic, yeah, but it wasn't it, at all. in the yeah, sense of it,
0: Yeah. Exactly. Like I don't I am not reductionistic. Like you will never hear me say like you know like <laughs> everything happens for a reason or gosh, you know, you, you will never hear those words from my mouth, but I but at the same time like yeah. when you're in that space that to some extent you do have to say like I don't have control. You know, I'm doing what I can do and like what will happen will happen and I I would say that losing Rowan on a very visceral level really did teach me that. Like I felt more in, in such a strange way, like more connected to the like rawness and realness of humanity. And the fact that like life comes, it goes like it, it is given and it is taken. And we do not, we are not even invited into that, like into that equation. Like we just have no we have no say over it. And there was something kind of comforting to that or about that to me. And and I, you know, I've kind of held that with me throughout the years, that there's there's just sort of this equality in it. Like there's you didn't like you didn't eat better during your pregnancy, so you deserve to have a baby that lives. You didn't like, you know what I mean? Like it's there's yeah. just this equality to it. Um and so you know, I, I kind of held that space with the help of you know so many people throughout my pregnancy and was you know lucky to not have any any complications that you know changed the the situation i was i f- I felt very, very confident that I was going to be able to have a home birth, and yet I also really, really made peace with. Like if, if something changes, I'm not going to be, I, I'm sure I would have still been disappointed, but I would not have like fought it or, or been up, you know what I mean? Like, I just really had mm-hmm. to make peace with that because I didn't, I didn't want to be in a situation, you know, I, I've, I'm experienced enough at this point to know, like, if you, if you hold a birth plan tightly, it's <laughs> going to backfire every time. And so, you know, I really did the work to, to hold that lightly and of course, hope for the birth that, that I wanted and, you know, plan for that, but also know that gosh, if something goes another way, like we will, we will drive straight to the hospital, you know? Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that was kind of my process. It really felt to me like it was an important way to, to really like be the foundation of, of me trusting myself, you know, like if I, if I had not had these losses and I want, you know, what would the, what would the birth be? What birth would I want? I would want a home birth. So why don't I have a home birth? You know, if that's possible for me, why don't I have that? And I, I would use this, I would use this point to, you know, to have a little disclaimer where to me, like, Home birth is what I wanted. I don't think it's about home birth at all. It's about like making choices confidently, and, you know, mm-hmm. like, not allowing loss and you know and the effects of it to to completely take over how you make decisions. You know, to to really mm-hmm. like just to to put you in a place of fear where every decision you make is based on fear, and that is that is what I didn't want.
1: Absolutely, and I think you know you've said this so well and that whether you have loss in your history or your birth just went a different way than you had thought the first time, or you had trauma from that experience. it's the same affect, the same attitude of readjusting and re identifying the things in you that have anxiety, the things that you that have, but also the things in you that you're passionate about and that you really like that you feel very strongly about. And I think it was such an amazing season of watching you really figure that out both within yourself and then also with chase. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, again, like you've done so well explaining how that worked out with your team that you were um, birthing with. And just, I think, you know, there's no better scenario in my mind as someone who does birth work than people who have done that process. And then when they go into their birth experience, they have exactly what we talk about, that open hand that is also like ready. It's a, it's a readiness, really. It's like a readiness and an openness to birth. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Openness is so the right word because if you think about birth, birth is opening, like your body physically opens. And so a posture of openness on every possible plane is only only going to benefit you. It is only going to help you to bring this baby into the world it there's there's nothing there's nothing more important to cultivate than openness you know that's what your body has to do it has to open and so it was it was a very um it was a very cool experience in that way i feel like i was so gifted with the ability to to be open during that pregnancy and i can truthfully say that that pregnancy was and i don't i don't you know, I'm not going to tell you that I never, you know, never had a panicky moment or that I never woke up in the night and, you know, like, thought I couldn't feel the baby moving or, you know, anything like that. I I did have those moments, but they were few and far between. I mean, I had a peaceful, connected pregnancy with Etni. It was something that there was, I mean, we just like all knew. I mean, didn't we all just know that she was just like, she was coming and she was just gonna like she was gonna change everything. I mean, we just knew like she was she was she was yeah. here before
1: she was here. And I feel like something that my own personal experience um was when we found out that she was a girl. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know why. I mean I don't think there's obviously there's no science or any kind of factual information, but there's something in my intuition that once I, I, for some reason, as soon as we found out it was a girl, I was like, she's going to be here and everything is going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, if we all, and felt I could just that. picture her. Yeah. yeah. And I could just picture her.
0: We all felt it. I mean, Chase felt it. Eden felt it. You know, when we were at that ultrasound and we found out she was a girl, he, <laughs> he was like rubbing my foot. My son's not very affectionate. You know, he's not like overtly like, touchy-feely or affectionate. And he was like, like holding my foot and rubbing it and just like staring at the screen in awe. And we just all knew like, she belongs to us. Like she, she belongs to us. It was very, very incredible. And, you know, one of the things that earlier in my pregnancy, I was worried, worried, maybe the wrong word, but something that I was kind of like preparing myself for, about being potentially anxious at the end of my pregnancy was that, you know, we had made this plan that I wasn't going to go over, you know, very much overdue. And I had gone almost a week overdue with Aiden and, you know, almost two weeks overdue with Rowan. And so I definitely had this like, oh gosh, like, What's it going to be like when I'm at the end of pregnancy and I know that the clock is ticking, you know, we're going to, we're going to switch to the plan of going to the hospital and getting induced. If I'm, you know, don't go into labor on my own, what will that be like? Will I be really, will I be really anxious? Will I be a, you know, a hot mess? And I just, you know, during that pregnancy, like I cultivated that, that peacefulness so so continuously that at the end, I I mean, I definitely did feel that the clock was ticking and was doing everything I possibly could to get that baby out. Um, I'm sure you remember all of those days and nights of like, had lots of start and stop labor for several days. And it was just like, come on, you have to like, this has to stick. It has to stick. Um, But but even even so, like I wasn't an anxious mess. Like I was really like, this is this is gonna happen. It's gonna be fine. Like we are, you know, we are like on the right track. We're you know, we're doing what we said we would do. My midwives were so incredible during that time. like you know, I would go in for the NSTs and they would just be like, I could tell that in their heads, like they had agreed to this plan of not going overdue with me. and and it was like, you know, it was a good plan. but I could also tell that they were like, you know, that they felt some like wiggle room, that they were like, a day is going to be fine, you know? Um, and so I, I was, um, I had had been having start and stop labor for three or four nights where I had the most unbelievable experience. I, had read hypnobirthing during each of my pregnancies but I never really did the you know the visualizations or the exercises I never really practiced the breathing I mean I did a little bit but I I didn't really get into it I just kind of used it as a like educational tool for like some breathing techniques I didn't really like practice the you know the hypnotic part of it or anything like that and during these days leading up to you know to to having my daughter I would at nighttime shortly after going to sleep i would start having like really quite strong contractions and they would be very rhythmic and frequent and like and and continuous for for a long stretch of time in most of the night and what i had this crazy experience where during a contraction i would be like kind of jolted awake and you know like experience the contraction. And then I would, it was like I was being pushed back underwater and I had this like, like hypnotic is the only word I can use for it. It would like push me back to sleep in this very physical visceral way. Like I felt like I was being pushed back over, you know, that feeling when like sleep you're maybe so exhausted or whatever and sleep just literally like, you know, pushes you down. Feel like you're you feel like you're yeah. falling. You feel like you're falling or being covered or, you know, whatever the, whatever the feeling is. And that would happen to me. And then like the next contraction would wake me up and it was like, I was being pulled back up above water and then I would be pushed back down. And so, you know, typically if you have start and stop labor for several days, especially at night, you're going to be pretty exhausted by the time you go into labor. And I did have that experience with my first son where, you know, labor was over the course of several days. And by the time he was born, I was, I mean, I was so beyond exhausted that I was in really, really bad shape, which happens to so many women. And I was, I fortunately did not have that experience. This happened for three nights in a row where I would like have contractions for the majority of the night. And yet I felt well-rested every single morning. Every single morning I would wake up and I would be like, oh, it's not, you know, I would be disappointed that the contractions didn't stick around once I got up and started moving um, and that, you know, this wasn't it and we weren't, you know, it wasn't going to happen today. Um, But I still felt well rested. It was so bizarre and, and so cool. Like it was just this really, really cool experience. So I'm doing everything I can. You know, I'm walking, I'm seeing my acupuncturist, I'm seeing my chiropractor, I'm like, you know... Doing all the things I possibly can, except for castor oil <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and then finally, on Saturday night, the same thing happens again. this is the the third night that it that it happens where I have contractions for you know most of the night and and then, as the morning gets closer, they started getting even stronger, and then when I got up they did not they did not die out, and so that was for me like how I knew you know. I was like, okay, well, I'm up, I'm moving, I'm there, you know, it's still happening. And so I think, I think today's the day. And that was, I was one day overdue. So Etna was due on February 13th. And this was the morning of Valentine's Day, which, you know, I halfway in my head have this like, you know, this... Very physical memory of my first labor that was, you know, three and a half days long. I'm like, well, she's <laughs> she won't be born today. I mean, probably tomorrow sometime. And then the other part of me that's like, fuck okay, that! Like, I'm having this baby today. <laughs> you know, she is coming, <laughs> yeah. and 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 choosing to like believe that. You know, like but feeling it in my body, but also being like, no, like that's like that's the space I'm gonna be in. Like, my baby is coming. My baby is not like several days away, and. So Lara came over mid-morning. Um the one of the other things that we planned um you know when I when I lost Rowan, I had had a midwife check that very morning and everything was fine. Heart rates were great. Like everything was there was zero sign that um that anything was wrong or that anything bad was going to happen and my midwife swept my membranes that morning. I went into labor and between, you know, noonish when i went into labor and that night when we went to the to the birth center he you know we we lost him at some point between then because he was already gone when we got to the birth center and so one of the plans that we made with the midwives was that you know when i'm in labor I want you to come, you know, pretty early on, like earlier on than a midwife would usually come. Usually your doula would come, you know, early in labor and your midwives might not come until, you know, until more active labor. And so they were, you know, very much on board with that plan. Like, you know, one of one of the midwife, one of the midwives on the team will get there, you know, really as early as you want us. Like it can be the it can be at the first contraction if you want. Like they were so accommodating and so generous with, you know, their space that they were holding for me as well. And so, so I did call the midwives, you know, fairly early on as well. And they came, one of the midwives came over and the plan was that, you know, still just with the Doppler, but that we would be checking on, on Etni and her heart rate and all of that, you know, fairly, fairly frequently throughout the process, more frequently than, than I, than normally you would do, um, especially for a home birth. So, Um, that just felt to me, like, honestly, like, I don't know how to say this to me. That felt like, like, yes, it felt like the right thing to do or the safe thing to do. But honestly, it felt like honoring Rowan. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that sounds weird, but it just felt like I'm kind of just like even saying that for the first time right now. Like, it just felt a little bit like saying like, Hey buddy, like, like not, not, I'm sorry. Like it's my fault, but like, I'm sorry we missed you. You know, like, I'm sorry we didn't. Yeah. I'm sorry, we missed you. And so it felt like, it felt like that for Rowan just in this like background, very subconscious kind of way, you know? And so it was so beautiful Mm -hmm. to hear Etni's heartbeat throughout the whole thing. You know, they would, and and the midwives are so great. They just, you you barely even know what's happening. They just, you know, put the Doppler on you wherever you are. Like (laughs) you can be on the toilet or, you know, wherever you want and just hearing her heartbeat all throughout was so reassuring to me she was just perfect at every point um and then you know we were planning to to have the tub and i was hoping to birth in the water um and so you should hop in at any point cuz i'm sure you remember things that i don't remember <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was the, you know, by mid afternoon, I remember at one point, when, what, what time would you say it was? Like, I think the midwife, you came over maybe around 10, the midwife came over at around 11 mm-hmm. and yeah. Neither. Yeah, neither. yeah, And then like early afternoon, like maybe one or one thirty. I was like at a point where I think my, um, you know, the way I was behaving during contractions, I think you guys thought I was pretty close to transition.
1: Yeah. And I think we, we all felt that way and you had already spent some time in the water, but that's really, that's when you... really when I wanted to like get in the tub.
0: And I remember there being like, I remember I could see them like setting out their, you know, their, their stuff for the baby to be born. And it was like, okay, let's get in the water. Like, you know, and it wasn't that long after that, that I felt like pushing. Um, And so I think it, it definitely had, you know, this, this sort of climactic feeling of like oh we're getting so close and I also was just like in the back of my head like how could it possibly happen this quickly like you know there's only only been a few hours um but it turns out I did have you know several more hours of labor to to go through and I think some of that was probably just part of it was definitely because I just wasn't fully dilated yet and then the other part of it was that we later discovered that a few there were sort of a few little impediments to to her being born, including that I had a, a prolapse bladder that was like, like full of urine and she was not really moving past that. And I also had a cervical lip, um, where you just have like, you know, your cervix is mostly dilated except for like on one side. And so, and then also my, my, (laughs) we thought my water had broken, but it hadn't. And so I was in the water. I'd been pushing for a while and not really making any progress. And, um, my midwife was like, you know, remind me how that happened. It was like, she thought she could see the head, but then she felt it and she was like, it feels like actually feels like the bag of waters. Well, how did that happen? Do you remember? Um,
1: Yeah. I think she just had felt like she wanted to check just because we had all felt like, okay, things should be moving forward more. Um, Just with how you were put, like how you were, your energy and, so I think that's when she decided, like, I think maybe if we, a gear bladder.
0: Yeah, let's that's right. Happens. And she said, like, let's move you yeah. to the bed so I can do a proper check. Because I hadn't really been being checked throughout this process, which, you know, is typical for, you know, that setting and also what I wanted. Like, I didn't want to be, you know, checked a bunch. And so, she, you know, she had kind of done like a, a quick little check, but I was like in a squatting position in the tub. And so she said, you know, I really want to do like a proper a proper check, let's get you on the bed. And that was when we discovered like all of those things, like the bladder and, you know, all of that. Yeah. And the well, actually the only complication I'd had during my pregnancy was that I had, you know, at one point had really bad urinary retention and had, they had, my midwives had wanted me to go see the urogynecologist up at OHSU. And I did, um, at which time we discovered that I was actually just you know, had cystitis and did have, you know, urinary retention. Um, so we also had a plan that like, Hey, there's a pretty good chance you'll need to be catheter during labor. Like, you know, there will be prepared for that anyways, but we'll just be, you know, extra watching out for it. And so that was the moment where Mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, I think we should just catheter you. (laughs) And, um, and so they Mm -hmm. did. And then what, how, how long after that was she born? Yeah, almost immediately. So she broke my water. I mean, I broke like- my water, cathed me, and like mm-hmm. pushed like my cervical lip out of the way all at once, which was not a, a very comfortable five minutes. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> then yeah, she very, very soon born. after. She so was born. there's a good chance that like, if mm-hmm. not for those things, that she would have been born even a couple hours earlier. Is my guess. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, but who knows? All in all, like. She was born at 7.51 at night and it was my, I think my shortest, well, if you count some of the pushing in the tub that probably didn't really count, like the actual pushing was my shortest pushing of all three babies. And definitely your shortest labor. Um, yes, I guess, I guess so. I I get, yeah, it is. Cause when I went into labor with Mm. Rowan, yeah. Cause my labor with Rowan was 18 hours. Like, so it was my shortest. Because I, you know, by the time I woke up and by the time contractions really got going that morning, it was probably nine. So yeah, it was less than 12 hours, which for me is really Mm -hmm. fast. (laughs) I'm like, if I can just shave, like if I have another baby, like just shave another like hour or two off of that. (laughs) I don't ever want one of those babies that's born in like an hour and a half. I'm every time we, every time we have someone on the show that tells one of those stories, I'm just like trying to, trying to like be calm and, and and hosting. As I'm, I'm like, oh, that sounds very intense. I'm like, no, I would never want that.
1: <laughs> it's too fast.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she was born and I have to say that, you know, it was like a very like calm and peaceful labor. I mean, still intense. I, I will say that I I did hold some kind of hope, like even as I was doing all the hypnobirthing stuff and, you know, just feeling like very calm and peaceful and grounded during my pregnancy and having chosen a home birth that I, you know, I was confident would just be like a great experience for me. I I think I did like hold some kind of vain hope that like maybe it actually means it'll be like less painful. or, (laughs) And and that is, I know, true for some women. And some women really have like very very, you know, not very painful labors. Um, I would say that it was not any less painful or intense, but the environment made all the difference. Like it was so calm and so peaceful. And there was like, there was literally, there was that like one brief moment and it wasn't even a scary moment, like nothing scary was happening, but there was that one brief moment where they're like, oh, we're going to have to do these things to help your baby be born. Like, you know, let's, let's, Fix this problem, but it was like a, a not a you know not a problem that was affecting my health or the health of my baby, so it was not a big deal, you know. So it was just this incredibly peaceful birth, even though it was just as intense. So uh, probably the thing about it that I like the most is just the the transition, like when the baby's born. I mean, you are laying in a bed in your own house, like you get to just hang out <laughs> and your your mom is cooking fried rice yeah. on the stove and someone just made you a smoothie and <laughs> like your son is right yeah. there and then he like goes to bed and you know it was that part of it was was so so incredible. I will say and I, I, this is what I was starting to say before that the moment she was born even though I even though during labor and birth. I was not afraid. I was not anxious. I will, like the moment she was born was still the most potent relief I've ever felt in my whole life. And still just like waiting to hear her cry, you know? And I mean, she, like, she is, she's just a healer, you know? Like she, she just came and, and I mean, holding her, like, I don't have a picture of me holding Aiden in that same way cuz you know we didn't that was 9 years ago and we didn't take the kind of the kinds of photos that we take nowadays. Um but the photo yeah. of me holding her for the first moment is just like it is just so so powerful. Like the the emotion and the joy and just the completion, you know? Just the the full circle-ness mm-hmm. of it is, is really, really powerful. And she had this little like, you know, breathing thing after she was born. Lara probably knows more about what was going on than I even did. Cause they were very like, oh, we'll just help, you know, we just gotta, um, so she didn't need to be resuscitated or anything, but they were just kind of keeping a close eye on her and the midwife actually spent the night and just, you know, checked on her every hour, which was, I didn't feel worried because no one made me feel worried, um, But I was at the same time grateful that she was there and grateful that, you know, she was just taking those precautions. Um, So I don't know what that like was like as someone that knows what's happening. (laughs) Because, you know, I know less about that stuff than I know about birth. You know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think... As soon as she came out she was doing yeah. just fine. Every once in a while babies have a hard time transitioning, whether that's keeping their temperature, heart rate, or mm-hmm. respirations normal. I always tell my moms that your baby's going from being like a mermaid yeah. to a land creature, so there's a lot they have to do. Um, in that scenario and it was just having um she was working hard to breathe, so she was breathing more than quickly mm-hmm. than normal. So I think for me it was just kind of nice to see how the midwife responded and I was very reassured by her staying, um, because in most scenarios when everyone's doing fine, the midwives leave. And so I think, I think that was like, as far as like me being involved, I was really reassured by that. And I think obviously it sounds like she was, it really reassured you as well. And she was fine. Yeah, she was
0: fine. Um, And they, they, you know, when you have a home birth, your midwife, doesn't usually spend the night, you know, they stay for a few hours afterwards and then they leave. Um, but they, but they also come back, you know, typically midwives come back the next day and then, you know, they usually come three times in the first week and then, you know, every few days after that, and then it stretches out to, you know, every, every couple weeks. Um, so they just came a little bit more frequently for the first three days just to be, you know, extra, keep an extra eye on her. And again, like I never felt worried about it because I knew that they were, you know, taking those precautions and that every time they came, they were like, yep, she's doing, she's doing great. Or just, you know, being careful. So that felt, that felt great to me. I mean, it definitely, you know, having, having a baby again, it had been, you know, seven and a half years since I'd had a baby and I'm around babies and, you know, I like I'm a doula. So, you know, I, I'm in that like immediate postpartum time with other women as well. But it's like when it's your own baby, like, man, you, there's just, part of it is just the obsession. Like you just, you lay awake at night and especially after they're just born, all the adrenaline and all of the everything. I mean, there was, I did not sleep for probably the first, you know, 48 plus hours. Cause I would just lay there and just stare at her. I couldn't even believe that she was here. I, you know even though like i said before it was like she was here before she was here but at the same time like holding holding this 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 gift that you've been waiting for for so many years and that you've gone through so much to to get to that point it's like the the pricelessness and not that not that she is more priceless than any other baby but your your sense of the cost you know your sense of of what it takes to get there is is very different than, than I had experienced before. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's mothering her has been an incredibly life-changing experience as well. I mean, Laura, I think you can probably attest to, and it doesn't mean I don't ever have like, (laughs) we had a a lot of challenges breastfeeding. That was kind of our biggest thing. And I had plenty of like desperate and hopeless moments around that. But in general, the experience of mothering her, I was extremely anxious when my son Aiden was born. And like Etni has just taught me so much about, you know, being a mother and my experience of mothering her. And even the way that affects my experience of mothering Aiden is just like, I am, I'm probably, I'm probably a hundred times more chill as a mother than I ever, ever was before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think, I I think there's, you know, like you said, every kid is different. Your experience of transitioning to parenthood is different. Um, and I think everybody has different roles in their family. And so much of having Aiden was about learning to really adjust and make room for a kid and yeah. make room for yourself as parents. Um, and just from the outside looking in, Sometimes feels like Etney was more like butter. she just kind of melted over everybody. Oh, yeah, and it wasn't making space for her. It was just she kind of became one with everyone. and um, I think it's been such a beautiful thing to watch, and it speaks so much to where you guys are at when you decided to have her and also just the decisions you've made also in your life to really be you know humans who are trying to really really be with their kids. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's such a great description. She just kind of like fills all the cracks. She just like melts into everybody, both on every level. She's, she's amazing that way. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Like I, now, now the question is if we're gonna, if we're gonna (laughs) have more. And I think, I think we always like, when, when we were pregnant with Etni would say like, Oh, you know, this will probably be it. And for a number of reasons, even my age, not that I'm too old to have kids, but just like, Hey, let's, let's be done with having kids, you know? Um, and now, you know, now she's just like, can, now she's just confusing. It's like, how could we not do this again? Like, and of course we've never get another <laughs> etne like everyone that knows Etne knows she's a, she's a mirror. Like no baby is as, you know, easy and and sweet and easygoing as she is, but but yeah, she just like the the expansiveness in my own heart as a mother is just like I truly feel like I have I have more to give, like I have more, I have more space, and I don't know yet. This is this it's still an exploration. I don't know yet if I will continue to try, but or if we will you know decide to have another one, but but it's definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we, um, we've been talking about here, Laura and I, and something that I've really been exploring over the last few months since, you know, since we've kind of settled into a new rhythm with Etni and life is, you know, kind of not, not how it was before, but, you know, there's just a little more, a little more predictability and, and rhythm and sustainability and all of that really just kind of really kind of exploring what it looks like to be with women in this stage of my life and you know one of the things that that I am co- constantly engaging with is women who who approach me and say like I've experienced loss I desperately desperately want to try again but I am terrified like I don't I don't trust myself I don't trust my body I don't trust the process like I don't know how I can get there and you know I, I've multiple times a week. You know, women reach out to me and say, "Like, can can we talk about this? Like, how did you get there?" And you know, I don't want to pretend that I have all the answers, um, but I've I've you know experienced a lot and and have learned so much through these experiences. And so, I'm actually going to be launching basically small group and one on one coaching for women who have experienced loss and they want to try again, but are just you know, they're afraid or feel like it will be a miserable experience or, you know, just just can't really get there. Um, and I really, I really believe that women can, that you can learn to trust your body again after loss. And it it's not a guarantee. Like it's trusting your body again is not a guarantee that you won't experience loss again. But it's still, it's the two are somehow not mutually exclusive. It just, it doesn't even like the math doesn't work. And yet I've experienced it like it is possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like there it's, I, I, I talk to so many women who are in that place and stuck in that place. And yeah. I want to, I want to be able to help them. Um, I want to be able to help them reconstruct that belief. Cause I think one of the things I've learned is that it's, yes, like there's trauma and that you have to deal with. And yes, there's like, there's, there can be stuff that, that you really have to let go of or heal from. And, and I've done that work with a therapist and, you know, all of that. I'm not a therapist, so I'm not going to like help people, you know, like heal their trauma. I, I think that a big part of moving forward is about like, it's about constructing a new belief. It's not about, like healing everything from your past, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm still I'm still working out some of the details, but what I'm going to do is actually just take a small group of women through an inaugural run of this, and I've put together um, just some, some really cool stuff that's going to include group coaching. There's going to be some one-on-one time with me. Um, there'll be some exercises to help you rebuild your trust in your body. Um, and of course there'll be connecting with other mamas who are, you know, have had the same experiences or similar experiences as you and, you know, can kind of all, all work through these experiences together. So, um, I'm going to be launching this pretty soon. We're, again, just still working out the final details. But if you email me at melissa at motherbirth.co, and that's melisa, M-E-L-L-I-S-A, if you're interested and think that I, you know, I have have experienced loss, I want to try again, I just do not know how I'm going to get there. And if I do try, like, or maybe you're pregnant now, but you're just like a just a ball of misery and anxiety. If that's you, and you want to want to work through that and get to a place where you can trust yourself again, um, just reach out to me, and I will send you more info so we can um, put together a small group. So it's it's going to be just a few women that I'm going to do this with the first time. So um, I would say if you are interested, just to reach out and do that in the next few days, um, so that we can can
1: put it together. Yeah, I I can say I'm really excited about this. I feel like as Melissa said, um, we get all kinds of, you know, one of the beautiful things about this community is we get to meet all kinds of women and be put in contact with all kinds of women who are going through different experiences or have gone through different experiences. And I think this is something that could really like facilitate a lot of healing and a lot of what we talked about building back hope Um, and I, I know personally from listening to women's stories, um, both, uh, all kinds of stories, it just builds in your confidence. Like we talked about on the last episode, just every time you hear another story, you take something from it and, um, it helps you on your journey. And so I'm hopeful that this community will just be a really amazing place for women to, um, kind of reach, reach out to each other and help each other build back hope.
0: Yeah. That is absolutely my, that's my hope as well. And I know that we are doing that, you know, through these stories that we share and through the community that happens through mother birth. I mean, that's, it's, it's unbelievable to me, the women that reach out to us and say things like, you know, like listening to the podcast changed everything about my pregnancy or gave me confidence or, you know, really helped me transition to being a mother and believe that I could do it, you know, believe that I have what it takes. Like it just... We get that so often and it's, it's really, it's really, really gratifying to us because that's, I mean, that's like the, the biggest thing we could ever hope for. So mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you to every one of you who listen to the show and who mm-hmm. believe in us and believe in yourself that, you know, you, you are an amazing mother and you can do this. So, yeah. so yeah, email me at melissa at motherbirth.co if you're interested in the small group coaching um, that will have some, some one-on-one time with me as well. And
1: um, we'll go from there. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's been such an amazing opportunity to, to share this story that has really just been a huge impetus for this entire show. So uh, we're looking forward to celebrating our year with motherbirth. So again, we just want to thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to Motherbirth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on.
0: Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us on iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps
1: the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Motherbirth is a personal podcast created by Lara and Melissa. It's intended as general information. doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant or in the postpartum period.